0: Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology, Ocaps, and board review podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young.
1: And Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these podcasts are meant for medical education purposes only, not to diagnose anything weird in or on anybody's eye.
0: Each week, we take a high-yield topic and talk about the why and the how. And this week, we're going to be talking about acute retinal necrosis. I think as a first year, I definitely thought this was a pretty confusing Topic. Um, it's not something that you'll see very often, but it's incredibly important to recognize it when you do see it. So I thought it'd be a very good thing to cover in its own episode. A definition of it, just to open, is it's always a viral retinitis that should always have retinitis itself, vitritis, and arteritis. It can also have choroiditis. It's not necessary, and you may not find it, but they can also have choroiditis um, along with the arteritis. And very classically, they have late regmatogenous retinal detachments, which we'll go into in a bit.
1: So um, the things that cause acute retinal necrosis, the etiology of it, um, as Ben said, always most of the time viral. And which viruses are we talking about? About two-thirds of the time, it's zoster that's implicated. But uh, there is some other herpetic viruses that are implicated, too, like HSV-1, HSV-2. Uh, Notably, people don't have to be immunocompromised to get this, uh, even though you certainly can um, be immunocompromised and get it. But usually it's in people who are immunocompetent. Uh, they might be a little subclinically immunocompromised if you like formally check all their titers and stuff but it's not any but it doesn't have to be somebody who's like obviously neutropenic or whatever right and i think there are other herpes viruses that might be involved too on the fringes is that right ben like cytomegalovirus and then herpes virus 6 i think
0: yeah, yeah there's like you know case reports i'm sure maybe some people in the community out there or know these to be common causes of it, but uh, there's certainly case reports of other causes like CMV and HHP6. Just note yeah. that there's always a herpes virus. You know, all of these things are herpes viruses. So, in um, the most common one being zoster, though it doesn't have to be zoster. And the treatments we'll talk about mainly cover zoster, and they usually will also cover herpes simplex as well. So, okay. But how does it present? It actually starts as anterior uveitis so they have a ton of cell and it can be granulomatous remember that in herpes it were viral uh they can get instead of like the the dense granulomatous kps inferiorly kind of an arlt's triangle like in the inferior part it can be diffuse all all across the endothelium of the, uh, of the cornea um <clears throat> Um, and they can have episcleritis or scleritis, so it can be just painful just because their sclera or episclera is also inflamed, and that's how it usually starts. Eventually, however, they'll get significant vitritis with their anterior uveitis. Uh, and that'll be accompanied by an occlusive arteritis, which will appear as a with perivascular hemorrhages. So you'll see hemorrhages, you know, uh, within the retina, along the the arteries due to this occlusive arteritis. And they'll have a full thickness retinitis, specifically in the periphery. So ARN, acute retinal necrosis, is almost always starts in the periphery and then creeps inwards. And, you know, it progresses towards the macula. Most of the time, it actually doesn't, like, go... Deep within the macula, though it, it can, but it usually spares the macula. So you'll see this kind of white retina that will kind of arc inwards so that when you have the remaining retina left, it'll have these scalloped edges, if that makes sense. That process of the retinitis usually lasts about four to six weeks without any intervention. During this time, you can have an exudative retinal attachment, so you can get fluid under the retina without a break, but that you know can usually resolve, especially with treatment. And the fellow eye is involved about a third of the time. However, if you treat them, as we'll talk about in a bit, that that chance of having fellow eye involvement, it's it's suggested in some studies, is reduced to 3%. Um, So that's one major reason to treat these patients um, aggressively. And then the last thing, and this is actually the more visually dis- disabling thing, it appears, is that they can get later regmatogenous retinal attachments. The reason for that is when they get the retinal necrosis in the periphery, that leaves the retina very thin. So it becomes much more easy for um, one to get a retinal break there. And it usually happens at the border of the healthy retina and the necrotic retina. So that's something that to really look out for. It can happen within about six months. Typically, though, it can happen at any time, honestly, after uh, acute retinal necrosis. So that's one of the more visually disabling things as a MAC offered regmatogenous from attachment after ARN. Uh, horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it can happen to anyone.
1: Um, so the the actual damage that these viruses are causing, it's thought to be from, you know, direct cell lysis that the herpes virus is itself causing, but also from the immune response to that process happening. For some evidence to this point, there are viral particles, but you don't find them within any of those vasculitic vessels. However, you, what you do find are immune complexes with the viral particles. So you don't see them in isolation, just affecting the those vessels. Right.
0: So it's like a combined viral and kind of immune response that causes ARN. Um, they can also get a granulomatous chorioditis if you do like pathology, you know, slides on um, like enucleated patients after they have ARN. and. They can, as we just said, a third of patients will get fellow eye involvement. The other eye will become involved. Um, There's a couple suggestions how this happens. One that it seems to be espoused by Ryan's retina is they think that the viral, that the the, the virion travels actually down the optic nerve past the chiasm hypothalamus and then back up to the fellow eye. That's one suggestion of how it happens. Something else to help support this is that the patients can get uh, herpetic encephalitis on top of ARN, like accompanying ARN, so they can start to have mental status changes as well. which we should definitely alarm any um, any provider that's following a, a patient with ARN. So you know there does seem to be a potential for retrograde down um, transport of the the virus particles in in ARN. So just to review the diagnostic criteria one more time. Now that we've talked about it a bit more, we mentioned in the beginning, but. Um, for some, for you to say someone has errant, they should have peripheral circumferential, meaning it goes around three hundred and sixty, well-defined retinal necrosis, um, typically in that scalloped fashion that we talked about. They should have an occlusive arteriolar vasculopathy, so FA could help you prove this. But they'll have perivascular hemorrhages, and you'll see that the um, arterioles may even obliterate, and prominent vitritis with anterior chamber inflammation. It will start with the anterior chamber inflammation, and become vitritis. It will have rapid progression the absence of treatment so you know this is something that's very aggressive it will rapidly kind of extend towards the macula over the over four to six weeks and things that they can have that you just to be aware is they can have optic neuropathy so optic disc swelling or uh, optic nerve atrophy so they can have pallor of the optic nerve and as I said before they can have episcleritis and scleritis so just because they have one of those things does not mean they don't have ARN those are possible things they can have but aren't necessary to be diagnosed with ARN Okay, so in terms of a differential diagnosis for ARN, there are a couple things that are um, that one should always think about before you just say, aha, this is ARN. The two big ones that are that you should always kind of think about together are CMV retinopathy and something called progressive outer retinal necrosis, which has the interesting um What do you call it? Acronym. Acronym of porn, um, if you haven't heard that one before. So, Andrew, do you want to tell us a little bit about those two?
1: Yeah, well, at least the cytomegalovirus. Um, we earlier said that you know, with acute retinal necrosis, it could be any virus. Even in some case reports, maybe cytomegalovirus. But cytomegalovirus itself has, is thought to be responsible for this entire other diagnostic category of retinopathy that has pretty distinct characteristics and is one of your other like more emergent viral uh, retinal problems. It also affects the posterior pole the borders are a bit more granular. But the big distinction here is that it really is most common in those who really are immunocompromised, with uh, BCSC saying like T cell counts of less than 50 per microliter. It is thankfully much less slow growing, but can be just as destructive. So you want to make sure you recognize it. Um, One other kind of interesting other distinction thing is I'm always trying to figure out which of these things cause arteritis versus phlebitis. Like uh, Ben has already mentioned ARN, you won't really see the inflammation in the retinal arterioles, and the arteries. In CMV, it's more of a phlebitis where it's affecting the retinal veins and venules. And this is where you can also see this frosted branch pattern too. I think it's called frosted branch angiitis, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean like arteritis necessarily. It's just whatever artery or whatever vein it happens to affect. And in this case, it is the veins. So you would see this really kind of distinct striking pattern of radiating almost like a pine tree frosted branch, right? Just yeah, going down the venules.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, frost branch angiitis. Just to clarify, because I was definitely confused about this as a, a first or second year, is um, it's not like a distinct clinical disease. It's a description right. of what something looks like. So there's a many things that can cause frost branch angiitis. Actually, CMV retinopathy being one of them. Okay, I guess that leaves me to talk about porn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, again, progressive outer retinal necrosis. One key difference is that this does typically happen in, in immunocompromised patients. So your transplant patients, patients with auto, you know, immune deficiency syndromes, probably as a result of that, they typically have no vitritis or interior chamber cell. So whereas in ARN, there's a prominent immune response leading to vitritis and anterior chamber cell in PRN born, they don't. You know, you'll just see retinitis. So this, you know, still like white, full thickness retinitis. Uh, a difference in the retinitis, though, with porn is that is that it can usually be more posterior. It's possible for it to just be peripheral and, again, kind of creep inwards, but it could have start with some posterior patches, even involving the macula, posterior pole, etc. But the, the really big difference is there should be no vitritis or anterior chamber cell, unlike um, an ARM should have prominent vitritis in anterior chamber cell. Um, just to round out the list of other things that can, you know, you should consider when you see someone with vitritis and retinitis it are things like toxoplasmosis that you know can cause a very prominent vitritis. Syphilis can look like almost anything. Lymphoma can give you a prominent vitreous cell, um, possible possibly uh, visible retinal lesions, and a disease called acute multifocal hemorrhagic retinal vasculitis and immune. Um, um, an autoimmune condition that we won't go into too much detail about. But, you know, definitely think about toxo, syphilis, lymphoma when one, when you see a patient with this vitritis, um, the retinal whitening. Yeah. Okay. The treatment. You know, in the, and this is more of an uh, older day kind of thing, but they used to always treat patients with and with IV acyclovir. Um, with a lot of a- IV acyclovir. Nowadays, we've moved more towards oral valley There have been some kind of retrospective studies that show non inferiority to IV. So it's obviously way more um, convenient to do something like oral valley or fam The Typical dosing that we see for oral valacyclovir is one to two grams three times a day, so it's it's a very high dose of valacyclovir, um, or 500 milligrams three times a day for Um But the bioavailability of valacyclovir is very good. It's a, you know as you know review from step one, it's a pro-drug of acyclovir, so it has very good bioavailability. And then generally do a very slow taper, sometimes over months. Some people will leave patients on indefinitely. There's not a clear practice pattern to guide us on what to do, but do a very slow taper. And, you know, some people will start steroids about two days after antiviral treatment. You don't want to start steroids right away. But as we said before, ARN has a prominent immune component to it. So uh, some people will think that steroids will help reduce the response. What are the goals of treatment? One is to, you know, in fact, treat the affected eye to reduce the time course of this very, um, honestly, violent disease within the eye. The second is to prevent fellow eye involvement. We said before, it can it possibly reduces it from about a third of the time going to the other eye to about 3% of the time, and to prevent herpetic encephalitis. So, you know, we said before, the viral particles are thought to be able to travel through the optic nerve, and, you know, sometimes it can affect uh, you know, get people in self to affect their cognition. And then the last thing is to watch for regmatogenous retinal attachments, which is really one of the larger threats to their long-term visual acuity. Obviously, any of these other things we talk about, the vitri- um, the occlusive arteriolitis, um, um, possible earlier exudative retinal attachments can cause problems with vision, but one of the more common ones is a MAC-off regmatogenous retinal detachment. You know, you have to watch more closely with the first six months. That's when it's more likely to happen. And if it does happen, they have a high likelihood, unfortunately, of having a combined tractional component along with the regmatogenous component because of all the inflammation that occurred and the high likelihood of getting proliferative vitreoretinopathy, retinopathy which are these inflammatory membranes essentially grow when one has a regmatitis retinal detachment. attachment this is probably something that won't be quizzed on because it's very controversial whether or not prophylactic laser therapy can help i just routinely doing prp on patients with arn to try to prevent them from getting regmatitis retinal detachment. attachment some of the studies that i found on my brief lit review suggest that, that there's no difference if you do it but you know i defer to your local practice patterns and whether or not you do this, it's still, as far as I'm aware, controversial.
1: Uh, Just for a reference, because uh, these treatments that Ben mentioned, the uh, IV stuff, at least by the book, you can find a table describing those treatment patterns for the different kinds of uh, retinal necrosis, including the CMV stuff on table 10-1 in the retina book, which I hope hasn't changed around or moved around too much through the editions.
0: I hope so, too. I don't have mine on me to look. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, and that but, what,
1: but what Ben gave you was the treatment pattern for this episode's uh, topic, acute retinal necrosis.
0: Exactly. Yeah, just for this episode. Okay. That's our episode. The uh, Again, to review, acute retinal necrosis has a, always is a triad of vitritis, multifocal retinitis, and arteritis. My mnemonic for that, by the way, is like VMA, like the video music awards, you know, like VMA, uh, the multifocal retinitis and arteritis. I don't know. I have a negative connotation in my head culturally with VMA. Is it like a prestigious thing to get one of those nowadays? I have no idea. Do they even still run?
1: Um, I I can't tell you.
0: Um, well, it's still, it still goes. I don't know if it's, maybe it's prestigious. Keep going, Ben. (laughs) Taylor Swift won last year. Good for her. Anyways, (laughs) Congratulations, Taylor! If you listen to our podcast, sure, you know the, Keep going. <laughs> the most common cause is zoster, <laughs> but other her- herpes viruses can cause it too. It has an anterior UVI to start with, but then progresses to these other three conditions we talked about. It's caused by direct damage from the virus as well as an immune response and. A differential diagnosis you should keep in mind when you see someone with this is CMV retinopathy, but those borders are tending more granular and it tends to affect the veins more, and it's much um, slow-growing and they're immunocompromised. And porn, where it's more posterior, they're immunocompromised, and they have no vitritis or cell. Management is oral valacyclovir or IV acyclovir, and watching them closely for a regmatitis retinal attachment. That's all we have for this week. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears with number 4.
1: And our website, eyes4years.com, with the number four also. Uh, if
0: you'd like to support the podcast, it's really helpful if you leave a rating or review. Um, it, it really helps us out. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.